Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Welcome to the Calvary Monterey Tuesday night study. I don't know when you're going to be watching this, but I'm glad that you're tuned in. I am Pastor Jeff Buck, one of the assisting pastors here at Calvary Monterey, standing in for our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge, who is taking us on a long, wonderful journey, Genesis to Revelation, on these Tuesday evenings. And so as we follow along with his messages, and we've been, of course, in Genesis, and we're going into then the book of Exodus, I am struck as I'm reading these passages by a concept that I have the luxury now to to elongate and explain a little bit, uh, whereas Nate has to go through in a survey fashion. And something that I know he passionately believes in is a, a very simple concept called the call of God. The call of God. That's the title of this message, The Call of God. And as you look at Genesis and then into Exodus, you see the first two of five great men. And there are women that are also called by God to ministry and service and so on. These happen to be five wonderful men that are, for me, they're like my heroes. I I know something about uh, people in Hollywood and sports and so on, but my heroes are the missionaries. My heroes are the shepherds. My heroes are the the men and women who stayed faithfully married for decades and raised children. And and I I like those kind of heroes. So I'm going to share today about five heroes that as you read the Old and New Testament, that, well, all of you probably have, if you studied the Bible very much, are familiar with these. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Jeremiah, and New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And the common thing about each of these five is that there is a very clear description of God's call into their lives and hearts. The thing about the call of God, the thing about the summons of God, the grabbing of God, if you will, of your life, is that you're never the same again. You have a, <clears throat> a purpose, a burden. You have places to go and people to see. I ministered for years at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and I found it interesting walking with our lead pastor there one day, and he was observing the footsteps of the employees there and noticing that most of them walked quickly. And he, he said to me, those people have a sense of purpose. But he saw a couple of people just kind of dithering around, and he said, now what about those people? Do they work here? And there were 700 employees, so he didn't know. But I remember noting that truth that when you're called, there is a quickening of your pace. There is a, an intensity of your focus. And so we're going to see, not only in the lives of these five people, but in your life, this thing called the call of God. 
So let's go to Genesis chapter 12. Pastor Nate covered this a few times ago. And I consider this 12th chapter in Genesis after Genesis 2 and 3, the fall of man and Adam and Eve in the garden and all of that. This is, if not in the book of Genesis, maybe even you might say a pivotal chapter in all of the Bible. Because what happens here is a man living in Mesopotamia is just apprehended and called by God. His father is an idol worshiper, Nahor, and uh, he's just chosen by God unilaterally. He's not asked his opinion. Well, uh, let's read this story. In this beautiful book of Genesis 12, 1, and, and the Lord said to Abraham the word go. Something about the call of God always involves a go. Whether it involves a geographical go, it will certainly be a lifestyle go. And he says, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. Leave the familiar, leave what you know, leave what you love, and go to the land I will show you. Note that he didn't have a roadmap and a destination. He was simply called to go to another place. And then the Lord in this call makes him some wonderful promises. And you'll see the word I will or I shall in the passage. One, two, and I will make you, you singular, a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And here we are talking about Abraham by name today. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and curse those who curse or dishonor you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we know from New Testament commentary that that is referring to a coming Messiah that we know, of course, as Christ Jesus. And look at this. Verse 4, so Abram went. How important that basic, raw, instant obedience. Abram went as the Lord had told him. His nephew Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I've noticed about the Lord that he tends to ignore age when he calls people. He calls people that are so young. I, I, I experienced the call of God when I was 17 years old. And uh, I've known people that were just finding their niche in life, especially in their 50s, 60s, even 70s. He's 75 years old when he departs from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. That is where they are going to wind up. He passes through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites are in the land. So this is a bit of a dangerous place to be. And now, as the call of God unfolds, here the Lord appears to him. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. Forget about the Canaanites. I'm going to give you this land land. And he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Bethel in the west, Ai on the east, 
And again, he builds an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then he journeys on, continuing to go south. What I want to say about Abraham in this most pivotal chapter, something that is so beautiful, God interrupts history, chooses a man, <laughs> and creates a nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, all by choosing a man. How often I have seen that in my life, that where in a certain city that abortion is unchecked, the Lord places a heart on a man or woman. Every city that I've lived in, and I've lived in numerous ones as I've church planted and pastored other places, and in each of those places, there was someone who had a burden for the unborn and would open a clinic, and the Lord called them. And it wasn't always an easy road, especially years ago. But uh, that happens today. God calls, burdens, leads. And periodically, as the Lord encourages you and appears to you and gives you success, you want to build an altar and say, Lord, I want to commemorate the fact that you gave me this building or, or you brought this person to faith or, or whatever it might be the call of God. I remember once just having a, a time of Bible reading and I felt, I love to tell this story, I, I felt the internal voice of the Holy Spirit inside me and, and a question came to my mind and heart. Which Old Testament saint is mentioned the most times in the New Testament? And I thought, uh, I don't know. Which Old Testament saint is mentioned the most times in the New Testament? Well, I figured it must be David, but I counted it up, and it was Abraham. Abraham, the father of our faith. Romans 4.13, walking in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. Abraham is the father of us all in terms of his walk of faith, and that is a common thing about the call of God. It always requires a walk of faith. The Lord puts a challenge in front of us that is way beyond us. That's one of the ways that we know that something may well be of God is when it's not possible to us. Abraham is the father of those who walk by faith. And then let's go as uh, our pastor is going to be heading very, very shortly to Exodus chapter 3. Abraham, the hero. And number two is Moses. This unassuming, most humble man on earth, uh, Numbers 12, 3, is just called by God. And here's the picture of the call. The burning bush, we know this story. Exodus 3, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. Notice he's just being faithful. He's living everyday life. He is serving in the uh, family of his wife. Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, which is called here because it, it's the place that Moses meets with God. And it will be hundreds of years later, the place that Elijah also meets with God. But it's called Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. 
he looked and behold, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I've been in that part of Israel. There's not a whole lot there for entertainment, but there's a lot of scrub, a lot of bush. And so you want to stop. You're not going to be interrupting a TV show or anything like that. And the, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, I guess this was kind of a test to see if Moses would follow this sight. God called to him out of the bush by name, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then God said, do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, any place that you meet with God and God meets with you, that's holy ground. You may not have a fancy house. You may not have a, a really great prayer closet. This was out in the scrub, out in, in kind of a difficult desert part of Israel. But where you're standing now is holy ground. And he said, now here is what happens in the call of God. He begins to reveal himself to Moses. So that Moses will be someone who carries the intimate knowledge of God. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And notice Moses' reaction. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely, surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I find it interesting that so often the call of God is the Lord's way of meeting a need. My mentor used to say, God's answer to many, many problems is a person. God raises up a person to help you or to help people with their sufferings. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, if you've been to Israel, you know that's exactly what it's like. To the place, now he's going to name the present inhabitants. And these were some warrior tribes. I'm going to bring them to the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Termites are all there. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I do want to say, God always hears our cry. God always sets answers in motion. But in this case, it was 80 years before Moses would be ready. And so, or, or 40 years, he's already been 40 years in the wilderness. And, and it takes a long time sometimes for God to, to seemingly swing the machine into motion. But make no mistake about it. When you cry to God, he always hears you. Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. I don't know if you've ever said that, but Lord, do you see this? Lord, do you see my boss? Do you see my neighbors? Do you see our governor, our president, our whomever? Do you, do you see this, this oppression? Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now that seemed impossible. How were the Egyptians ever going to let go of the Israelites who were 
building the buildings and, and carrying the loads and all that. How would that ever happen? But he says, I am going to bring them out. I love that word, out. They are coming out. He said, but I will be with you. And this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve me on this mountain. Now that's going to be the place where Moses has two back-to-back 40 days and nights experiences with God and where the Ten Commandments are given. Then Moses said to God, well, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Well, what shall I say to them? This is the beautiful thing in that the Lord allows Moses to ask how this is going to go down and particularly how he's going to convince people that God has sent him. You know, what God? There were, you know, so many gods in Egypt. There were thousands of them. What is his name, they're going to say. And God said to Moses this word, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. How, how odd an answer. I am who I am, or I am what I am. Yahweh, that, that wonderful name. And he says, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I, I find it so precious that Moses is given this wonderful revelation, and he brings that back to the people. That's the cool thing about obeying the call of God is you learn things you've never known. You see things you never would have seen if you hadn't stepped out in faith and gone. And this precious revelation of the name of God that was so sacred that the the Jews didn't want to write the whole word out and they didn't want to say the word out loud, this word Yahweh or Jehovah. And so it's Moses that is given this wonderful information and revelation to bring to people. What you learn about God as you walk with God is so precious. I love listening to people who've been walking with the Lord or been in ministry a long time because there is so much they have to share, so much they've seen. In in so many ways, they know God so intimately. And when they speak, there is such authority. There's an old saying, the man who has an experience is never at the mercy of the man who has a theory. And so when you've walked with God, you've seen him come through in the most unlikely and impossible circumstances. You have authority, and that's Moses. He's called by God, and as we looked at Abraham and saw the God who interrupts history, chooses a man and creates a nation here, we simply see through Moses that the name of God and the law of God is revealed. When Moses gets to the mountain of God, Horeb, Sinai, uh, the wonderful revelation that will be given that we appreciate and, and treasure today, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. What a great man Moses was. A meek man, called by God, timid, argues with God, not in the m- moment of the text here, but uh, was used ultimately by God to lead out a million and a half or so people from Egypt out into the wilderness. What a great leader he was. 
And perhaps you would also think like Moses, me, I could never do that. I could never start a ministry or I could never uh, raise a family or I, I, I don't know that I could ever stay married because I come from divorced, messed up family. Anything can happen to you when the call of God comes into your life. Then let's look number three, at the great prophet Samuel. I love the book of Samuel. I love the fact that as a boy, as a child, he has been left in the, the, the tabernacle of that time. And uh, he's living there with the priest Eli. His, his mom was supernaturally uh, promised a conception in her old age. He is conceived and born, and so he's given back to God. And in 1 Samuel 3.1, the boy Samuel, uh, maybe eight years old or so, you know, a young kid, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. This was a low point in the spiritual history of the Jewish people. There's just not much happening. People are not uh, following the Lord very well. But the Lord here calls Samuel. Here's the story. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place in this tent or tabernacle where uh, the law was kept. Uh, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. You remember the ark of the covenant from Exodus. And here's what's so precious here. And the Lord called, there's that word called. And the Lord called Samuel and, and he said, here I am, exactly as we saw previously, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. He thought his mentor had called him. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So Samuel went and lay down. And the Lord calls again. Samuel. And Samuel arose and went again to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He was young. He was being mentored by this man, this, this human, and had not yet had the, the deep supernatural experiences with God himself. But he, he's hearing a voice and he's trying to figure this out. And the Lord called Samuel again, look at the patience of God, the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling. And therefore, Eli said such a wise thing. Says to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, there's that word call. If he calls you, and this is what you can say to the Lord every day. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Or speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel went and laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. The story goes on. The ministry of Samuel goes on. 
And what I see here that's so wonderful in that God speaks to the heart of this young man, this boy. We see the office and the leadership in Israel of the office of the prophet. We see the office and leadership of the prophet established. That's going to be the next dispensation of God dealing with his, his people will be through prophets. And they will speak the word of the Lord. I mean, as we read the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, which we'll get to someday under Pastor Nate, you know, so often it will say the burden of the word of the Lord came to Isaiah or came to Ezekiel or whomever. The word of the Lord comes. When the word of the Lord comes, whether it's a, a verse in the Bible that just captivates you, whether it's the internal small voice where you hear something that's consistent with Scripture and consistent with uh, the, the common sense of the way God leads people, you're never quite the same again. The voice of God, the Word of God changes everything. I think about uh, a man that I greatly, greatly uh, admired, Pastor Chuck Smith. I still miss the man who, be, well, became the founder of this Calvary Chapel movement that I have so enjoyed for the past years. But it was interesting how he vacillated a bit, even though he'd gone through Bible college, about what he was going to do with his life. And he really wanted to go into the medical field, become a doctor or whatever. And one day, the Lord spoke to him and said, I have not called you to those things. I have called you to teach my word. That changed the history of many of us because as Pastor Chuck obeyed that word and hippies began to come and the Jesus movement happened and, and then now people like me are, are walking in the footsteps of, of that great man it was the voice of God. It was the call of God that put Chuck on that path. Our, our own pastor here, Pastor Nate, how many times I've heard him tell the story of, of God speaking to him in his heart, I have called you to teach my word. And how the, the seriousness that I see in Nate, the intensity that I see, well, it's like this prophetic voice that comes, maybe not uh, as dramatic as with Samuel, but in our hearts. I see in Abraham the interruption of history. I see in Samuel the office of leadership, uh, of the office of and leadership of the prophet established. And I see the wonderful revelation of the name of God through Moses. These, these people are the ones I wish I could hang out with. And then I want to show you a fourth great man. If you'll go over to the book of Jeremiah. Not an easy book to study. It's a very long book, but has an awful lot to say. But what I want to focus on is this call of God to Jeremiah. That's what I'm focusing on today as I'm just thinking about uh, our study through Scripture. And we see Jeremiah, who was also a young man. I, we don't know, but the basic uh, opinions usually revolve around being a late teenager, early 20s, something like that. And it says in uh, Jeremiah 1.1, describes the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth and land of Benjamin, 
to whom the word of the Lord came. There's that phrase. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, until the captivity. This was like a 50-year ministry of this great man. Now we get the details. We've, we've seen that he's called by God. Now here's, here's the real story. Jeremiah 1.4. Now the word of the Lord came. That's a wonderful thing, is we may not know what to do, but God's word, even if it's a simple verse of scripture, comes to us. Now the word of the Lord came to me. Jeremiah is speaking in first person. And he's speaking of God's word to him. So precious. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, you talk about a slap in the face. I knew, I consecrated, and I appointed, and it was before you were born that I set you apart. I consecrated you in my own mind and heart. Before Jeremiah was born, we see the supernatural call of God. We see, here's a, the lesson of Jeremiah, we see the call of God, the consecration to the prophetic ministry from eternity past. That's the amazing thing about God. So clearly taught in the New Testament that we are foreknown by God, that he doesn't just get to know us when we're born, but in this case, it was, he was consecrated before birth by God. Well, what's his response to this overwhelming fifth verse, verse six? Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. Now, he immediately begins to say, I know what you're asking me. You want me to talk to people. I, I felt the same way when I was um, such a shy, introverted pastor at 18, 19, 20. And the thing I just did not want to do is speak in front of people. I mean, that to me was like death. And it's amazing how God can call you, and if you'll just obey, even though at the first, your Bible studies, as mine were, might be kind of miserable to listen to, uh, but I led a little small group on a, on a university campus, and we met six times a week, and I had five messages a week to prepare. I, who had been like saved a year and a half or whatever, I, I, I kind of said like this, like he uh, says, Jeremiah, I am only a youth. I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, now the Lord always hears us, but he does not always listen. <laughs> he does not always buy what we're selling. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. Oh, how often I've said that to young men and women. God calls people so often so young. And you have the opportunity as a youth to, to be serious in your life, to be committed in your life. I, I, I could have breezed through the university experience and uh, had a good old time, but I, I did not. I, 
I, I consecrated myself, I gave myself to pastoring, to church planting. And I, I could not say, I am only a youth. And this is the word of the Lord. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. Period. No negotiating. To all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you to say to those people where I send you and then you're going to go to, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And the Lord put out his hand. Now notice the practical touch of God here. Then the Lord put out his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I have put my words in your mouth. That's what's really wonderful about the ministry of the word is when you study, you prepare, and then you invite the Lord to speak through you, to put his words in your mouth for the sake of the people that are listening so that they can hear from God through what you've heard from God to share. He touched my mouth and the Lord said to me, I've put my words in your mouth and this overwhelming call. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, break down, destroy and overthrow and build and to plant. In other words, you're going to speak to nations about their destinies, that God is lifting them or he's demoting them. You're going to speak to the destinies of nations. You're going to speak to kings and you're going to proclaim my word. What an overwhelming experience. And uh, my, my calling was certainly not that dramatic, but I know people that, that have had those kind of experiences. And we see here the comfort that's given to this young man is very simple. God says to him, I didn't just think this up. From eternity past, knowing everything that was going to happen in Israel and Judah, I chose you. The sovereign choice of God. You know, some of us would look at some of the people that are in pulpits or in leadership or running pregnancy centers or, or missions organizations or whatever and say, well, you know, I don't know if I would have chosen those people. That's immaterial. The Lord chooses and speaks to the heart of people so that the world can be changed. And that's what I admire about Jeremiah. He set about a very long, difficult, controversial ministry. And even though it was a difficult road for him, it was the, the call of God. God's word, usually through scripture, contains within it the strength, the motivation, the encouragement to go on another day, another week, another year, and whatever it takes. That's what I see in the life of Jeremiah. My fourth and final hero that I want to share is in Acts chapter 9. And I have to tell you, as a young believer, how I fell in love with the great apostle Paul. His life, his story, his writings, I have always related to him even better maybe than the previous four. He's just someone that I see, a guy I think I could relate to. I have a serious 
bantones, oh, I'm kind of a goofball at times, kind of like, like he had. And I see in the two uh, stories of his call, Acts 9 and Acts 26, this incredibly intense man who has an incredibly intense knocked-off-the-horse conversion experience. And as he obviously many times gave his testimony, and I so encourage you to give your testimony every time you can to anyone that you can, because our personal testimony always contains the power of God to change lives. But this guy, Saul, he's called now, uh, it says in 9.3, Book of Acts, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. He's going to persecute and kill Christians. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone about him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I've always liked that, in that Paul, Saul, didn't know Jesus. He, he wasn't intending to persecute Jesus. He wanted to kill Christ's followers. And what Jesus says to him is, well, you hurt them, you hurt me. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Who is this that's talking to me? And these beautiful words, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And it's so interesting. He doesn't stop to lecture him. He doesn't kill him. He simply says, verse 6, rise and enter the city. And I love these words. And you will be told what you must do. Isn't that interesting? From the very first moment, he's knocked off the horse and is beginning the process of coming to faith. Jesus said, there's a plan laid out for your life. There's things you must do. The people with him don't hear, they, they hear the voice, but they don't see the vision. They lead him by the hand and bring him uh, into Damascus, verse 9, for three days. No food, no drink, as he is just trying to figure out what is happening to me. This Jesus, he's, he's dead. He's, he's gone. But there is a disciple at Damascus named Ananias a faithful follower that does not know he is about to take part in history. And the Lord says to him in a vision, Ananias, you notice how the Lord calls people again by name. And he says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias <laughs> coming into him, laying his hands on him that he might regain his sight. Now, this is just wild. He, he hears about, his name is Ananias, that Saul is seeing a vision of a guy named Ananias coming to visit him and pray and restore his sight. And, and Ananias read, uh, he reacts. He says, but Lord, I've heard about this guy. He's come here to kill us and destroy us. He's doing so much harm. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on the name. But the Lord said to him, go. There's that word. Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. Now, here's the call of Saul to become Paul. 
He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And as the story goes on, Ananias comes, he prays, Saul to become Paul, repents of his sins, he's given sight and goes on to change the world. And you know, the story is told again, and I'll just use this last, for a, uh, last passage here for, the, for this part of the message. In chapter 26, we have the same story told in some different detail. He's on the horse going to Damascus, and in Acts 26, 14, we had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. You know, <clears throat> cattle sometimes had to be prodded to move with a stick or a goat, and they would kick at it. They didn't like it. And so he uses that homely illustration to say, Saul, uh, you are, you're trying to get rid of me here. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now here again is the call. Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles, look at the next phrase, to whom I am sending you. What a thing to tell the great Jew, Saul, is um, I'm gonna redirect you and send you to the Gentiles. To whom I am sending you, and watch this, verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God. Beautiful. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That word faith is one of the key contributions of Paul to the, to the church, would be that concept of faith. We see in this man a guy that we can love read from, imitate, a guy that we can relate to. You know, Paul laid out, his, his greatness is amazing. Paul laid out the major doctrines of the faith. Here are seven of them. The concept of faith itself. Oh, what he had to say, number two, about the Holy Spirit. What he had to say about grace and living by grace. Number four, salvation by faith and grace. Number five, his revelation about the church. If you read through the book of Ephesians, the, the seven pictures of the church in Ephesians, the, the church, the body, the workmanship, the family, the temple, the bride, and the army, this, this amazing revelation of the church, that was something that we owe to Paul. Number six, the love chapter. Paul's revelation of the love of God and our love for one another in 1 Corinthians 13. And finally, the unity of Jew and Gentile. 
the removal of religious prejudice and the unity of the church. What a man. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Jeremiah, and Paul. As we read the book of Genesis and we go into Exodus, we marvel at the fact that God calls men. The call of God on our lives. We might say, well, you know, God's never called me that way. He's probably not going to call me that way. He's not maybe going to call me to ministry. That's the first kind of calling. But, you know, number two, we are called to either marriage or the single life. Singleness and marriage are callings. I don't have time to read it, but if you want to see about how God calls us to our marital state, 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9, and, 19, and, and 17 through 20. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9, 17 to 20. Talk about the calling to marriage and singleness. That covers us all. God looks at you and says, I want you to be married. He did that with me, and I was engaged at 19, married at 21, had my 45th anniversary last week. Or singleness. I, I was willing to remain a single man for the Lord. I, I would have done that. See, but see, that's a calling. And where there's a call, the grace and ability to fulfill it is there. So you can be called to ministry, but you are called to singleness or uh, marriage. Number three, all of us are called to salvation. That is a call from God. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, I did not come to call sinner, to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance. There, that's the third kind of call. All of us are called to salvation. The night I got saved, it was the call of God. I didn't go to that Bible study because I was Hungry for God, seeking God, wanting God. I went with all the wrong motives, but that night I was called by God. I, I, it's a complex passage, but if, you, if you're a Bible student wants to go deeper with the Lord, take a, take a look and check out Romans 8, 28 through 30, which talks about the progressive uh, drawing of God in your life. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called. There's the word called. Those he calls, he justifies. And once justified, you're glorified. Beautiful. Romans 9, 11 through 13. Not by works, but by faith in him who calls. By faith in him who calls do we come to faith. One final call. I'm inferring this, so I'm saying up front, I don't think I have a verse I can put on this, but I've got a pretty good one. Called to heaven. Going to heaven is a call. That moment of our death is a call. That moment where we pass from this world, which we will do. Luke, Luke 23, 42 to 43, the penitent thief on the cross. And he says, Jesus, remember we when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to see to it. I'm calling you to go with me. So see, we're all called in one way or another. So I want to take a minute to, to pray with you about this theme of the call. Some of, some of you 
actually God is, is knocking on your heart, calling you to ministry. I had a friend who was deep in the academic side of the world. And one day the Lord spoke to him, I have called you to teach my word in truth and faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus for many. He had his life planned out, but the voice of God came to him. I have called you to teach my word in truth, faith, and love, which are in Christ Jesus for many. And his life was changed. My life was changed in 1971 and 72. When I volunteered to God, I'm not able to help the people around me in the Jesus movement getting saved. But if you will let me see the power of God again falling upon people, I will dedicate my life to helping people stay in their faith. I said those words to God. He heard me. He took me up on it. That was 48 years ago, and I've never stopped. What about you? Has God called you as a father or a mother? Has God called you single or married? Has God called you to salvation? Is God calling you to ministry? The call of God can be resisted and frustrated and, and avoided, uh, ev evaded, avoided, but I don't recommend it. So I want to take this moment now because the call of God what a wonderful, life-changing thing. Simply needs to be received. Once it's received, the equipping comes, the boldness comes, the faith comes, but it requires that submissive step. Maybe you're in that situation of reevaluating your life as these great five men did. Let me pray with and for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your call. We are not worthy that you would call us, use us, even know us or remember us. But we see ordinary people called by you. So Lord, in our family, in our marital status, in our spiritual connection and salvation, and even maybe in ministry, we want you to lead us and guide us pull us and woo us and help us to understand what to do. We relate to Abraham who was told to go out not knowing where he was going, but he followed you and became the father of faith. We, we relate to Jeremiah, so young, to Moses, so young and, and unable to speak, to De Jeremiah and feeling so overwhelmed and and Paul heading the exact opposite direction of what he should have been doing. But you're a great God. Call us, renew us, use us, and thank you for the call of God in men and women in this world. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.